Well, those prayer points that we just prayed for the persecuted church, um, they're great prayer points for each of us as well. Maybe not with outside persecution, but we each go through challenges and trials all the time. 2015, for me, was a year I'd like not to repeat. I don't know, maybe some of you feel the same way. It was challenging and discouraging on many fronts, which most of which I will not detail for you this morning, but I do want to quickly sketch one or two areas that were particular challenges for us, for me. The first relates to Colleen's health. Two years ago, she um, got a pain medication change, an extended release, the, the pill that she had been taking for years every four hours and would run out well before she'd wake up in the morning, couldn't get out of bed um, until that would kick in every day, um, got a 24-hour dosage, and that really made a huge impact. It was really one of the first positive steps in the development of her pain management that we've seen in years. And so uh, that was just about two years ago now, and that was wonderfully encouraging. Then, about two years ago, coming up over the holidays, within about a month span, we found ourselves in the local urgent care facility uh, three times with these same symptoms where she would, uh, for multiple days at a time, just be uh, having chills and sweating through several uh, sets of clothes a night um, and just horrible pain that she just described as, I feel like I'm dying. Um, so we would go into the urgent care and try and find answers and everything kept coming back as your normal. Um, went through several rounds, about a half dozen different specialists trying to get to the bottom of what some of this could be. And uh, we were reassured that she wasn't dying, um, but they could give us really no other answers. Um, these episodes continued throughout last year and into this year, sometimes as frequently as once a week, just when we thought things were beginning to look up. Another situation was more of a church-wide experience. As a body, we were seeking to emphasize and grow in our mission together as a local body, something that historically wasn't a strength. Um, we were trying to pursue Christ as our first love and throw off many of the other distractions that we just found ourselves succumbing to. And so we seemed like we were gaining some momentum in this regard of coming together, of rallying together, of seeing ourselves on mission. And, and then uh, early last year, it was about a six-month period where we just had a large number for us as a small body um, n number of families, about 10 or 12 altogether, that moved out of the area for different really good reasons. There were a number that were just underemployed or unemployed for years and found work out of the area. So we were thrilled for them, but it was hard to see them go. We also had uh, a care group of folks that uh, for years had been traveling, had been commuting to be part of our church from about an hour to 45 minutes away. They were wonderful um, blessings to our body, a couple leaders that were there, including our worship leader, one of our care group leaders and advisory board guys, and, and so just great quality folks. But especially as we were going through this time of emphasizing mission, several of them thought that, you know what, 
We really believe God's calling us to do this where we're at. And this drive, it really makes that challenging. We're all in on what you guys are doing. Um, but we feel God has planted us here and is calling us to minister where we are locally to really be able to carry out the mission that he's given us. And so again, great reasons, wonderful folks. The worship leader in particular is one of my best friends down there. And so it was wonderful to see what they were doing, how they were valuing and prioritizing their lives. And yet it was incredibly painful um, and hard just emotionally. To see friends go is never easy. Um, we also had uh, one of our leaders that uh, we had been training and working with. He was working part-time on staff. Um, we knew for a long time there was a desire to help see a church planted in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, again, last year really felt that there was an opportunity to open up with a friend of his there. And so um, he let us know that that indeed was the timing, and that is a church, gospel-centered church, that just launched uh, this last month. Um, but again, great folks leaving, good reasons. Through that process, just because of the sheer number, there were many folks that just became uneasy. Um, yeah, we see and we hear this being said that there's good reasons, but... Boy, it just doesn't seem right that all these people would be going at once. And they really started wondering, speculating what was really going on until we had just a whole care group almost without warning just left the church because they thought, boy, we're not seeing the whole story. Even though we don't know what the problem is, we're not going to wait to find out what it might be. Again, really challenging. <laughs> um, we had friends there that were part of that group. Again, that were good friends that uh, their daughter was like an older sister to Ainsley. Again, just emotionally, these were draining, challenging times. Um, and then as a small church, when you have what would have been equal to at least a quarter of our church leaving over a few months, um, you know, an already tight budget became a really tight budget. Something that I will just say I have a little bit of a sensitivity towards um, as far as being the reason that I ultimately was down there. Um, so just things that, there were others as well, but these couple things that just kind of encapsulated what was a challenging, perplexing year that... Um, was discouraging. I found myself discouraged multiple times throughout the year. I found myself anxious. I found myself saying on New Year's Day, boy, I'm really glad that one's over with. Um, but I was aware just of the repeated effects of these things on my soul and, and different things that it was revealing. I don't know, um, I don't think I have to describe really in detail what that discouragement that anxiousness can look like, for I know that as a body, you've been walking through plenty of your own challenges as well. And I'm aware that it's not just on a corporate level, it's personally that a diagnosis, a bank balance, a broken relationship, a car accident or a lost job, an unfaithful spouse, a rebellious child, 
Any number of things can tempt us, can feel like we're being put through the ringer and leave us wondering, boy, did did the angel that was supposed to be watching right now, did he just kind of nod off? What's going on? I'm calling this message when God interrupts. And the core of it was the message I gave earlier this year on the morning that we announced to our church that our land sale, the, the, the thing that was going to provide a lot of relief financially, had fallen through just after we had moved into our own space. We bought a used church building, about 20-year-old building, and moved into that, fixed it up, um, had a contract on the sale of our land, which was bought uh, 10 years ago by the church before either I or the senior pastor there currently um, were part of the church. It was just an area that was supposed to be a, a high growth area and then the recession hit and it was out in the middle of nowhere and it's a really great location for a retreat site. <laughs> but it's not a place that's on the way anywhere. And so we thought that's just not what God has for us and we're grateful for where he has provided space but we were just aware as things are tight, boy, this, this seems like the answer to our prayers. And so this message was what I preached as we were excited to be in our own space, but once again seeing an interruption to the momentum and the excitement as what we had hoped for and envisioned was God's answer for us fell through. Now, as the title indicates, it's important to remember who is still in control and on his throne when we face situations where momentum seems to grind to a halt and our passion, excitement, even our faith can feel threatened. God calls us into relationship with himself and he designs both the highs and the lows to reveal and to refine our relationship with him. So the question for us is, will life's interruptions reveal that we are relating with God and relying on God, or will it reveal something else? So let's start with the fact this morning that God, he's in the good times. And just to give you a quick heads up, as I go through, I'm going to go through a few different passages this morning. Um, I'm not going to exposit one. I'm more going to draw some uh, observations from these multiple passages um, as we go through this morning. And we're going to begin by looking at three accounts of just some amazing momentum and excitement that different uh, groups of God's people we're experiencing. This first scenario is in... Uh, Leviticus 8 and 9, where Aaron and his sons are just established as the priests for God's people. Uh, they've recently been delivered. Now they're on their way to the promised land, still wandering in the wilderness, but we see the sacrificial system established, the law being given, and uh, Aaron and his sons are set in as priests over God's people, culminating with the final verses in Leviticus chapter 9. Verses 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared. 
to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. These guys knew how to have a tent revival. And can you imagine what this must have been like? I mean, really, try and picture this. See, we have a little bit of a disconnect because we're so used to CGI and special effects and stuff we can see on a screen before us that it takes a little bit for us to pull back from that and think what it must have been like to actually be there. No special effects, but to see visibly the presence of the Lord before them. To see fire come from him and consume their sacrifices. Oh, the description of falling on their faces, that seems like an appropriate response to what is happening in this moment. They've just spent the last 400 years in slavery wondering if God even exists or whether he might see their plight. They've had no sign, no indication from him for generations. All they have is the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph has long been forgotten. They are in slavery. Now they've been delivered from Egypt and before them are not frogs, not locusts that God has sent, but God himself physically revealing himself to them, among them, so that all could see. This was worship, this was celebration, it was ecstasy. Can you imagine for them a higher high than they would have been experiencing in those moments just to see the pleasure and kindness of God? Scenario two, several generations later, the nation has been largely rudderless for generations through the time of the judges, through Saul and his kingship, which was really an abysmal failure. And now in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we see David being anointed king over all Israel. Earlier, after Saul's death, he had been anointed over Judah, but there were still some of the tribes that weren't ready to follow him. And it was another seven years before the whole nation was united under David as king. And at that point, he captures Jerusalem and makes it his capital and stronghold, which is why it is now known as the city of David. And a couple of military victories later, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the new capital to highlight his commitment to God, to follow him, to make him first. The parallel passage in 1 Chronicles give some helpful details about this situation and what's going on right here. We read in 1 Chronicles 13, 1 through 4, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as the priests and the Levites and the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be 
gathered to us. Like God bring us all together. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now David has just united all 12 tribes of Israel, gathering them now as one nation and making it known that it will be one nation under God. This calls for national celebration. Everything is looking up. The wrongs of the past are being corrected. Nothing can stop us now. Scenario three. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out on the disciples at Pentecost following Christ's resurrection. Peter preaches to explain what is happening and 3,000 souls. You can wrap your head around this. 3,000 souls are added to their number on that day. The church takes shape as they gather for fellowship and teaching. There are signs and wonders. Everyone has everything in common. The Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Even following the persecution of Peter and John being thrown in jail, they pray for more boldness and the place where they are praying is shaken. God truly is among them. He is transforming hearts. And we see at the end of Acts chapter 4, Verses 32 through 35, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. God is on the move. People are being added daily. The church is growing. The reality of the resurrection is transforming everything. Has there been a better representation of heaven on earth since the Garden of Eden? What we have is amazing. Not just outward displays, but hearts being transformed of people living for God, of them coming together. Three snapshots of God relating to his people in the best of times. We see unity. We see celebration and worship. We see the nearness of God. Literally. Amazing displays of God's grace upon his people. People are responding with just awe and wonder, and worship, and joy. Blessings and pleasures are meant by God to direct us to Him. And so we see these blessings and we see people responding to Him. The people in each of these passages encountered a kind and generous God. The same one, by the way, that we encounter and experience with every good gift that comes from above. Every revelation of himself, every gift of his spirit, every warm affection that is shared among his people, every encouraging word that brightens the soul, 
The same God is speaking. The same God is moving. The same God is blessing. He is still present to bless. But God is also present in the hard times. Any one of us can attest to the reality that the Christian life isn't only made up of warm affections and encouraging words. Even our best mountaintop experiences, well, they just don't seem to last very long. In fact, sometimes it seems that we go from that mountaintop and an avalanche comes along and escorts us from the top of that mountain to the bottom with seemingly half the mountain pressing down upon us. Speaking of landslides, did you know there's an election coming up Tuesday? I know that was really bad, but no matter who is elected this week, is anyone excited? Is anyone hopeful about the state of our nation right now? And what this last year plus has delivered us to? Will this week be more than a reminder of how divided, how divided, how divided, petty, and mean-spirited our, pub, our society's public discourse has become? I'd like to hope so. We'll see. We'll see what the week brings. But the reality is, as a nation, as communities, as churches, as individuals, we go through highs and lows all the time. No one is immune. All of us face the hardships and challenges that life brings our way. And God's people, even in the midst of enjoying his marvelous blessings, are not immune. Let's go back to scenario one with interruption number one. Moses and Aaron and the consumed sacrifices. The very next verses we read, Leviticus 10, one through three. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I will be holy. I will be set apart. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Nadab and Abihu saw God on display as the sacrifices were consumed and how everyone responded. And they thought, that was pretty cool. Let's do it again. But instead of doing what the Lord had commanded, they did it for their own purposes, for their own acclaim. And God said, no, 
I don't share my glory with another. I don't want my people thinking that my presence is some cheap parlor trick to be conjured up. I won't be manipulated for personal gain. Those who represent me represent me. And they must do so and serve my purposes, not their own. See, these blessings, they they should have directed them to God the giver, not sent them seeking their own glory. Interruption number two, 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 11, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Again, the scale of this is amazing. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Yusa and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel, again, over 30,000 of just the men, were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yusa put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yusa, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Yusa. And that place is called Perez Usa to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Poor Yusa. He was just trying to protect the ark from falling when the oxen stumbled. Except that the ark was never intended to be carried by oxen in the first place. That's the way that the Philistines transported it when they had captured it. But God had very specifically given instructions for how the Levites were to transport it with poles and being carried by the Levites alone. And Yusa was a Levite and he should have known which is why God's anger was kindled against him. As the representative presence of God among them, literally saying that God used to sit enthroned on the cherubim. This was no trinket to be trifled with. It was to be honored among them. And folks, a new cart is not the honor that God had in mind. Adhering to his word 
was the honor he desired. And just because he was not sought in the days of Saul didn't mean that now they could come and relate to him any way that they chose. This wasn't some good luck charm. It was a representation of God's presence. And they weren't treating uh, just a golden box carelessly, but relating with God on their own terms. And God wasn't having it. Interruption number three. You already know where this is going. The perfect church, at least that's what we like to imagine when we think back to early Acts. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own after it was sold? Was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I guess so. Seems like a very reasonable response. We see a little pattern here. Does God just not know how to keep a good thing going? What's the problem? Boy, it seems like we just get things rolling. They're at the height of excitement and then bam, everything screeches to a halt. Just to be clear, there was no problem with Ananias and Sapphira's giving or even keeping some for themselves. The problem was lying about it in order to get glory for themselves. God was not willing for his young church with his resurrection power fueling their community, their boldness and their generosity to be cheapened and degraded by those looking to make a name for themselves. Yes, God was in the good times to bless his people. His spirit is visibly active to bless throughout the book of Acts. But he was just as present when things went south. Ananias may have left the building, but God had not. God 
not only was with his people in their times of tragedy and heartbreak and trouble, it was by his hand that trouble was realized. Whether it was Israel in the wilderness or the church on a mission, it's important to know that God never leaves, never forsakes his people. A question I think that we can all be prone and tempted to wonder at the times of our trials. Where are you, God? Have you left me? But what we do need to see and to realize is that the shortest distance is rarely the route that God uses to get his people from point A to point B. Joseph had his dream 25 years before he saw it come to fruition and he was reunited with his father Jacob with slavery and imprisonment in between. David was anointed 20 years before being crowned king. Most of that time spent on the run from Saul. Even after Saul's death, it was another seven years before the whole nation was united under him. Moses, God's prototypical example of deliverance in the Old Testament, spent the first 40 years of his life being trained by those who were oppressing his family, his people. And after he finally identified with his countrymen, he spent the next 40 years in exile in the wilderness before finally being God's instrument to deliver God's people. But after that point, he spent another 40 years with them wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The fact that my life's purpose wasn't fully realized in 2015, look, it helps me to be a little less disappointed when I gain a little bit more perspective. When I see that God's got a much longer term vision and plan in view. He has a different agenda than just getting me through whatever I'm going through in the easiest possible way. See, the journey is just as important to God as the destination. And something we often fail to realize is that in this life, this world, this life is not the destination. What is revealed in each of these abrupt interruptions is that the point of all that's been going on is that there is a God who wants to relate with his people. He wants to come alongside them. He wants to love them. He wants them to worship him and know him and follow him. Not just their own desires and designs, but to see him as the one that they need. To fall in love with him. From Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit, to Nadab and Abihu seeking to steal his glory, to Israel's carelessness with his word and instructions on how they were to honor him, God shows himself very willing to sacrifice the momentum of a one-time event or even just a particularly good season for the sake of purifying and transforming the long-term relationship. Again and again, we see his agenda having a much 
longer range view in mind. He is working on an eternal scale. The troubles we face, well, Scripture makes, true, uh, makes clear they're, they're light and momentary in comparison to what is to come. See, both the good times and the hard times are meant by God to reveal and refine relationship with Him. God uses both blessings and troubles to reveal and refine our relationship with Him. Prosperity and adversity each bring their own tests. So what does your current situation reveal about how you are relating with God? What will Tuesday's election results reveal about how you are relating with God, about what you are placing your trust and your hope in? Do His blessings bring praise or do they bring neglect and forgetfulness? In trouble, will we doubt God? Will we turn to God? Will we curse God? In times of trouble, how will we relate to God's people? Will we turn on each other or turn to each other as challenges arise? Nadab and Abihu revealed in the heights of blessing that they were using God for their own purposes. Aaron, in the midst of unbelievably horrible circumstances, revealed that his relationship with and trust in God was greater even than the loss of his two sons. David was angry when Yusa died, revealing that he was more interested in using the representation of God than he was in serving God's purposes. God revealed to David that a true return to him took more than an outward display or a box moving location. His word must be honored. And it was certainly revealed that Ananias and Sapphira were seeking to use God. But the apostles, they were revealed to be trusting God. In fact, the very next verses we read in Acts chapter 5, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. God's got a unique growth strategy. The fact is, it's not centered on our preferences, our agenda, our wisdom or best laid plans, but genuine relationship with Him. God seems pretty content to be a mood killer, a literal killjoy because he has a much bigger agenda than just the momentum we perceive. 
The reality is he already knows our hearts, what we're thinking, how we're relating to him, but he often chooses to mix things up a bit so that we might see where our hearts are at, what we're really depending on, who we're really in love with. God builds his church and his people his way. He wants my dependence to be upon him, not my nest egg or a weather forecast or an election or any other set of circumstances I think will ruin me or that I think I can manage to my own advantage. There will be times when a place of discomfort and desperation is exactly where God wants us to be. Because that is the only place where we will see our need most clearly and we will see God as our only provision. It is there that we will encounter the redeeming God whose strength is made perfect in our weakness. I have no desire to go back to 2015, but there are multiple lessons that God revealed ways that I was relating to Him on what my hope was misalignment of priorities, where I was seeking my happiness that came through very challenging circumstances. But God was faithful. He had not left. And he brought me out in a way that he could show me more of himself. In both the Old and New Testaments, God identifies himself as a shepherd to his people. That's, that's something to pay attention to. It reveals something important about how he wants us to understand our relationship with him. The 23rd Psalms starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He does that because he's a good shepherd and he does that because, friends, the reality is you and I really don't know what's best for us. We're deceived into thinking we do, but we're always thinking the other pasture is greener, not the one that we're in. And it's a good thing that we have a good shepherd who can lead us to the pastures we need to be in and bring us to the water that we need to drink. We simply don't know what circumstances, what soil conditions, what pruning methods will produce the best fruit. Because who wouldn't avoid the hard stuff if it were up to us? In the words of Mr. Spurgeon, some plants die if they have too much sunshine. It may be that you are planted where you get but little, you are put there by the loving husbandman because only in that situation will you bring forth fruit unto perfection. Remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. He brings both blessings and trials in order to provide the care we need. 
because what we need most is not an easier life, but a closer relationship with Him. Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He is the point. Relating with Him is life. Every circumstance, blessing or hardship is an invitation to know Him more, to love Him and trust Him. He is not distant or relegated to some far off mountain. He is right here, right now. He isn't just watching or taking notes while we do our thing. He is the Lord of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the cosmos into being and upholds it and every atom within it according to his good pleasure and will. Scripture says that God dwells in unapproachable light. Yusa, Nadab, and Abayu learned the hard way that there is only one way to come to him, and that is on his terms. The only way that any of us have access to God is not by ritual or good deeds or penance, but solely on the merit of Jesus, God's one and only Son. The unapproachable one came to us and died for us. Our blessings were bought with His blood, which means that when circumstances reveal that we are falling short in how we are relating to Him, we still have hope. He reveals our hearts and our failures not to condemn us, but to transform us in His resurrection love. Our trials and challenges are not arbitrary or meaningless because we are not yet in the final chapter of the story. And just because you are not in control doesn't mean that no one is. Our trials and challenges and the purpose of this very life is to reveal whether we truly are relating to Him, whether we're rejecting Him or running from Him, whether we're trying to use Him God calls us into relationship with Him, and He designs both the highs and the lows to reveal and refine that relationship. So, question for us, do we see all that He does, all that we go through as invitations to relate with Him more closely, to know Him better, to love Him more dearly? Interruptions and all. Let's ask for his help together. Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself, that the God that you have shown yourself to be is not just back then, but you can still continue to pursue and to go after, that you're willing to stop and not allow us just to be lost in our celebrations that you go to whatever cost so that we can be made right with you to enjoy relationship with you. Thank you that you are so committed to us. Help us, Lord, to see you at work in what we're going through. And help us to love and relate to you, we pray. Amen.